how many of you had parents who expected you to write thank you notes to share your gratitude? Some of us are still around. I didn't really mind doing it even as a child, except for the one that my mother would make me write to my Aunt Margaret Jane after Christmas. Apparently, when I was just a toddler, she had sent some bright red undies with ruffles all on the backside that you could put over diapers, and everybody thought it was adorable. And she thought it'd be a cute idea to give me a new pair of red ruffled undies every year. <laughs> By the time I was 10 years old, it was excruciating to have to thank her for what I saw as an insult and an embarrassing gift. Now, that's not to say that thank you notes aren't a good thing. There are some folks in this very room who have sent me meaningful and uplifting notes, and I truly appreciate them. On the other hand, if we think that gratitude is only about being polite, saying or writing thank yous, then we've kind of missed the point. Thanking someone is important, but gratitude, gratitude is something much deeper. It really comes from the heart. It's part of the core of who we are. It's a state of being that is connected to living out our faith in a meaningful way. We may think that this kind of gratitude just comes naturally, but it doesn't. Often, a baby's first words after mama and dada are mine or no. It takes the guidance of parents and mentors and life lessons to move us from focusing only on our own needs and our own wants to having an attitude of gratitude and generosity. Now, when life is good, gratitude seems reasonable. When life is hard, not so much. And yet, it is when we experience adversity and crisis that things seem to come into clearer focus for us. The pilgrims showed us what that means. It was a rough journey to the new land, and half of them died the first year. All of them wouldn't have died, would have died if it hadn't been for the kindness of the Native Americans who taught them how to farm in this soil that was new to them. Life had been so difficult that some of them proposed a day of mourning, but others said that a day of thanksgiving would be more appropriate. Although they had endured great hardship and loss, they knew that life itself is a gift and that God was with them through it all. When they finally had an abundant harvest, they invited their neighbors to join the feast. As we hear in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The Apostle Paul spoke of joy and thanksgiving when he was writing from a jail cell, unsure how long he would live. The son of one of my dear friends just had a liver and kidney transplant. So far, the liver is okay, but the kidney has failed, and so they're going to hopefully try again. And he finds himself surrounded with prayer. Every time I hear from his mother or anyone in the family, they are talking about this prayer that holds him up. And it reminded me of the fact that it's when life hangs in the balance that we learn to be truly grateful for it. I once read an essay by a man named David Soucier, I think is how you pronounce it, and it was on the anniversary of his heart transplant. 
This is what he wrote. Ten years ago, in the wee hours of the morning, God performed a miracle in me. It was not the first miracle God had performed in my life, nor it was to be the last, but it was perhaps the most dramatic. The transplant team at Methodist Hospital, under the leadership of Dr. Michael DeBakey, performed the fourth, fourth transplant ever in that hospital, replacing my damaged, doomed heart with one from a young man whose tra life had tragically ended. Now, some may call this a miracle of modern science, but life itself is a miracle of God. And for another person's heart to grow in my severed aorta and become a part of the living me is a miracle of God in my book. When asked how the transplant had changed my life, David said, I live with a renewed sense of urgency, and that has changed my priorities. Because I realized that if I'm to stop and smell the roses, I best do it now. There is gratitude. All I can do is accept and feel gratitude for each additional day I live. And now, I walk a little closer to God. Because when you've been through a harrowing experience with someone, you form a special bond with them. I clung to God for dear life during those times. God was the good friend who saw me through sometimes the only one who thoroughly understood. In our Bible story today, we encounter this group of lepers who don't think anyone will understand them or even begin to comprehend the depth of their misery. Once they have been like anyone else, with friends and family, with hopes and dreams for the future, but then they just happened to catch this disease and it took everything away. The leprosy gradually disfigures them damaging their skin, their nerves, their limbs, their eyes. By temple law, they have to live apart from everyone else, even from their families, staying on the outskirts of town so they can't infect someone else with their misery. The prevailing attitude towards sickness in those days is that it's punishment for something you did wrong, so lepers not only avoided, but judged as bad people. We see the desperation of the lepers as they call out to Jesus, for mercy. To their astonishment, he tells them to go and present themselves to the priests. In their world, the priests are the only ones who can verify healing and give someone permission to re-enter the community to be regular folks again. On the way, they look down and they can't believe their eyes. Their sores and deformities are gone. They are healed. Now, it's perfectly possible that the nine lepers, lepers who don't come back are actually grateful, and they do what Jesus told them to do. They go to the priests. Can you imagine their joy, their eagerness, just to throw their arms around their loved ones again? The one who returns to give Jesus thanks, we are told, is a Samaritan. Since Samaritans in those days are shunned by both Jews and Gentiles, he can't very well show himself to a priest. He won't even be welcome in the temple courtyard. Being a foreigner in a place where he is ridiculed and ostracized, even before his leprosy, he has no community to which he can return, no one to embrace him, no one to share his joy. Somehow he knows that this Jesus who healed him cares about him and has embraced him already. In a world where he used to be shunned, Jesus has opened his arms wide to include him. 
When the Samaritan looks down and realizes that his skin is smoothing out and he feels the feeling returning to limbs that once seemed numb and lifeless, he spins on his heels, runs back to Jesus, throws himself at his feet, filled to overflowing with gratitude. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Other translations say, your faith has made you whole. There's more going on here than being healed from his source. It's his whole being, a grateful heart, that wrought the change in him. You see, for the Samaritan, all he has is Jesus. Jesus is the only one he has to rejoice with him and let him know he matters. God loved him when he was a leper, and God loves him when he is healed. The story challenges us, I think, to imagine how we can embrace people who feel like they are on the outside looking in. Being followers of Jesus means much more than simply believing. It means following Jesus in ways, doing the things he taught us to do, like welcoming with open arms anyone who has had the experience of being pushed away or treated as less than. If you were ever tempted to believe it when somebody tries to tell you that another human being is not worth your time, isn't acceptable, isn't good enough, think about what Jesus would do. We say that we are an inclusive church, but that means much more than just welcoming whoever comes in our doors. It means thinking about who might be on the outside trying to look in. Who might appreciate the beauty of our beautiful, colored, faceted glass window and yet be afraid that maybe those people won't accept me in there? If you don't think that happens, think again. A man once came to talk to me not too many months ago because he had been watching our live stream, he was interested in the church, but he didn't think that we would want someone like him. And it broke my heart. I tried to tell him in every way possible that he was welcome, but he still hasn't come. I hope and pray that someday he will change his mind. How do we as a church community more effectively reach out to those who feel like lepers in our world? Our gratitude for God's deep love for us reminds us to do everything we can to offer the light of Christ's love to anyone that we can. Growing in gratitude is like cultivating a garden. We plant the seeds, we water them, we watch them grow, and then share the harvest with one another. When you awake in the morning, try to start your day thanking God for the day before you and asking help to notice those things for which you are grateful. Something as small as a hot cup of tea or coffee, the smile of a loved one, the sparkle of wonder in a child's eyes. Pay attention during the day. And then when you go to bed at night, consider all the things for which you are grateful. You've probably had experiences in your life when you don't have to try to be grateful. You look out over the mountains or the ocean, someone touches your heart deeply, something happens that takes your breath away, and the gratitude just wells up within you. As Diana Butler Bass put it, though, gifts seem to spring upon us like an epiphany bursting our hearts with that wild admixture of humility and joy that we know is gratitude. But if we cultivate our awareness to see those gifts more often, 
with clearer and more consistent vision, something else happens. Thankfulness becomes more habitual, a regular part of how we respond to the world. I once read a story about a little boy who at a very young age had already noticed what he was thankful for. Thanksgiving was drawing near and his first grade teacher gave an assignment for everyone to draw a picture of something for which they were most thankful. Douglas was a particularly frail and unhappy seeming child. When it was recess, instead of playing with the other children, he would stand close to the teacher. While most of the children drew expected things like turkeys or dinner or fall leaves, as the teacher walked around, she stopped by his desk to see he had drawn a hand. Perplexed, she asked him, whose hand is that? It's yours, he said. She remembered taking his hand as they walked places, just like she did with the other children, but then she remembered other things. So often saying, take my hand, Douglas, and we'll go outside. Or let me show you how to hold your pencil. Or let's do this together. Douglas was most thankful for his teacher's hand. Friends, may you and I grow in gratitude, noticing the little things like a teacher's hand and the big things like a savior's love and living out our gratitude with generosity and love. Amen.